So, in today's episode of the first episode of Making Lemonade podcast, trademark, um, we're going to be talking to entrepreneur, world record holder, TEDx speaker, best selling author, um, amazing inventor, ex Royal Marine commando, um, and, and you know, genuinely the the nicest or one of the nicest guys um, I've ever had the pleasure to meet, uh, Richard Browning. Um, so for those of you who do not know who Nick Richard Browning is, um, he is the uh, brains behind the human propulsion technology startup, um, Gravity Industries. Um, so Richard invented, um, designed and patented and launched, um, the Iron Man style jet suits, uh, that you may or may not have seen, uh, uh flying around Top Gear tracks and off, uh, off Royal Navy warships and, and everything all over YouTube. Um, Richard founded... Uh, Gravity Industries way back in 2017. Um, so this is off the back of a very successful career uh, working in the city where he created game-changing innovations um, uh, within his role as a oil trader uh, where he spent 16 years there. Um, after this, he um, he found like reignited his family passion for inventing and uh, and aeronautical engineering um he's an ex Romery, which is really good for us um and uh, he, he cites his uh, i suppose the inspiration and the kind of vision um behind gravity industries is coming from his father who uh, is michael brown um, now, Michael was an aeronautical engineer um, and uh, like a rogue maverick inventor um, who tragically uh, lost his life uh, when Richard was only a teenager, um, really. I, I wanted to reach out to, um, to Richard after seeing him initially on LinkedIn, um, to be fair. Uh, I came across him, um, I think we, we were in mutual groups, um, obviously being veterans and, and being part of the same organisation. Um, I took a keen interest in what he was doing and I started to see all of this amazing stuff um, in the press, I started to see it on the video here, there and everywhere. And I, I reached out to him, I thought, do you know what, um, if anyone can sum up what it means to be um, an entrepreneur, um, what it means to kind of uh, overcome obstacles and really apply the stuff that you learn, not just in um, in, uh, in Civic Street, but also in, in, in the core as well, and applying that to, to how we look at um, uh, the business world now, this guy is going to be. And I think that a lot of people are really going to enjoy um, hearing about uh, what he has to say and can can really relate um, because I think uh, we 
you tend to see these amazing people do absolutely amazing things and we tend to forget that they are people as well and they've had uh, you know the, the same amount of time as we have and they have the same dreams and the same challenges as we have as well um, and we overcome them and um, so we talk about his journey so far and his time in the core and some of the challenges that he's really faced uh, where he kind of sees the the company going where he sees um, his motivation um, uh, behind the gravity and, and kind of what happens next if you're really interested um, in uh, finding out a little bit more about uh, Richard uh, then I highly recommend uh, getting his book so it's called Taking on Gravity uh, and it is a guide to inventing the impossible um, from the man who learned to fly um, and that is available at all good uh, bookshops um, and I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's an Amazon bestseller as well. So really good, a real good read. Um, also, ah! also check out his um, uh, his social media as well. So he's on Instagram, he's on LinkedIn, he's on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, and of course, you know that amazing uh, YouTube channel that he's got. Um, but yeah, it should be really good. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll have a debrief afterwards as well. Um, so, okay. um, Richard uh, Browning, you are a two times world uh, record holder. Um, <laughs> yes, a, I believe so. Um, you are an entrepreneur um, being deemed uh, the modern day Iron Man uh, by people like Wired and uh, in the media, and you're all over the world, literally, um, flying around, which is great. Um, not a lot of people uh, know about your military history, though. So what I really want to do is just um, uh, maybe get yourself to introduce yourself, um, speak about some of the um, uh, some of the experiences that you had when you were working in the Marines, uh, and kind of go from there, really. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Gaz. It's uh, it, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, so yeah, my background. I I I always rather my title. I am Richard Browning. I am the founder and chief test pilot from Gravity. Uh, and we build and uh, fly thousand horsepower jet suits. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much a good summary. <laughs> good, good. Um, okay then. So um, the reason behind these uh, this kind of series of podcasts or this series of interviews is to kind of explore the role that um, veterans play within the uh, within uh, the business world, really. Um, quite a lot of times we come across um, uh, veterans in, in two markets and those markets are usually teaching and um, and security and not a lot else uh, but I really want to say, um, to understand a little bit more about your experience uh, within the forces within uh, the, the military organizations and kind of what you've been doing really um, so you used to be uh, a Royal Marine yeah, I was RMR London, so I was a Royal Marine Reservist alongside a pretty mad um, day job. I was an oil trader for BP for 16 years in the city. But if I wind it back, I went to university with a place at Sandhurst, uh, as in, you know, I, I'd already gone through what was at the RCB, Regular Commissions Board at the time, and had a place to join the Army. Uh, I, I, I mean, 
cutting to the chase, you know, I lost my father when I was 15. He took his own life. It was a bit, you know, I, there's so many examples, especially in military circles, of people having managing childhoods and turned that into something of a motivation, I guess. Um, you know, and I, I've always respected what the forces represents, you know, the UK forces in particular. And um, uh, that was my ambition. I, I, but during university, I spent an awful lot of time in the officer training corps, also an awful lot of time on Sennybridge. I was in, um, I was at Cardiff University. Um, I met my now wife at university and then started to think, well, maybe I should go and try and find some kind of civilian job when I leave rather than rush off to Sandhurst. Knew I'd always regret it. You know, I, I always try and probably achieve a little bit more than is feasible in life in some ways. Uh, and uh, knew I'd always regret it. Joined BP, did uh, start to earn some good money, which is, a, you know, something I did want to achieve because of my, you know, my childhood was a bit, uh, a bit rocky, let's put it that way. And I wanted to build a solid financial basis, you know, for my, my family that I didn't have yet. Um, but, you know, I've, I've got two boys who are now early teens. But cut long story short, I joined the Royal Marines Reserve when I was uh, probably about four, maybe three years into my career with BP. Because I, as I predicted, I regretted not joining the forces and scratching that itch. Uh, and, uh, the, uh, you know, RMR looked like a, a you know, really good, interesting uh, challenge. I highly respected the concept of rather rather than the territorial army where you're a separate unit, which, you know, doesn't maybe tend to get used as much as you'd wish. I liked the idea that you had to achieve the same standards to get your green lid and then, you know, be a kind of backfill, you know, manpower uh, boost uh, in the field. And I thought that was, a you know, a, an admirable setup. So, yeah, merrily jumped in and you know like we've all experienced probably a lot of people listen to this um it dawns on you very quickly what you've now gone and committed to and think oh my god i can't let myself down uh you know we've all been there and then you think i can't possibly now give this up um damn i've got to get my ass over the line and gosh it was hard work i mean uh you know I, i'm not at all saying it's easy going living in limston for a year but um at least you're in the zone and you're surrounded by you know oppos who are doing the same horrible stuff <laughs> whereas yeah. you're like constantly dipped i mean you know it, it, I, again i'm not trying to suggest the rmr is the hardest thing in the world but being you know friday night you've done a really hard you know 14 hour day or something and instead of getting off the train at home you're getting off the train in bermondsey is where it used to be that's bad enough but then packing your kit in that I can still smell what that changing room is like. It's sort of plasticky smell with the artificial bright lights and you're packing your burger and thinking, I'm just not, I'm not going to sleep again for, you know, until, until Sunday night. And it's going to be grim. And I'm going to stand up to my chin in water and be shouted and screamed at alongside, you know, Goldman Sachs, you know, uh, you know, new graduates, bin men, unemployed guy, secret guy from MI6. who We knew he was from there, but you'd never say he was. You know, it's a wonderful melting pot of wonderful characters. And we're all just thinking, why are we doing this? This is like the mother of all type two fun. Uh, but you know what? You get to the end of Sunday and then you'd be back sitting in a warm you know, desk on Monday morning, at, unable to use your hands still, you know, thinking, well, maybe I'll go back the next time. You know, <laughs> and I had like three years of that uh, to get my green lid. And I screwed up the commander course at least. I think I, I'm embarrassed. I don't usually end up covering this, but I, I screwed it up twice. First time I tore my pectoral muscle attachment, jumping through that damn cargo net. I just got the arm angle wrong and did some stupid I'm a teapot motion and I'm not a teapot and my arm nearly came off. Got got healed, but didn't really have my head in the right place and tried to rush it. Tried to rush through thinking I was there. I've got to catch up with my you know small number of mates who've made it through. We started with a, you know, a group of 80 and me and one other got through three years later. 
Um, anyway, um, and I, I rushed it and upset too many people and got kicked off the course. <laughs> um, and then made it and made it through a third time in a row. But I tell you what, the mental challenge of trying to drag my ass back to that to get my down lead. Oh my god. Anyway, so yeah, there you go. That was a long answer to that question. But um, uh, yeah, I didn't. It, it was a journey, but I'm very proud of what I managed to achieve by getting there in the end. But um, yeah, tricky. yeah, and it's important. I think it's um, it's important to know that. You know, if you fail, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, uh, that that's it then for you, is it? Um, it means that you've just got that other excuse to try and get back on. And, uh... <laughs> yes, but but it was probably still one of the hardest things I've done in life, which is to drag yourself back to get. I mean, thing is, there's so many Royal Marines who probably some of the best Royal Marines who got back troops injured you know, for whatever reason. And the mental fortitude of picking yourself back up surrounded by a different bunch of mates this time and still getting through it, you know, my God, is that hard, you know. Um, so many of the guys I train with drop by the wayside over those years, usually from just their life changing, you know, like they got a girlfriend and moved somewhere or job moved or they got injured. I mean, I'm always in deep admiration of the Royal Marines for, um, for, putting so much demands on you you know one minute you've got to be a you know a pretty handy 10k runner the next minute you've got to be a gym mm. monkey and bang out those damn pull-ups the next minute you've got to be you know um you know more like a sort of expedition leader in terms of yomping across you know dartmoor doing something like you know carrying a load of, of wet kit for hours they're all yeah. such a diversity you know you know this right they're all such a diversity of demands on your body that they really do find the weak point. You know, I, I, I'm pretty good at gym stuff. I'm pretty good runner. I'm pretty good at hauling extra weight, but I'm not very good at, at shutting the hell up when I'm supposed to because, you know, my day job was being a cheeky oil trader of, of trying to constantly bend the rules. So when I'm told to go and sit there staring into the blackness when I, I know there'd be a better option over somewhere else, <laughs> that was my weakness. I'd be a cheeky bastard. And, and, um, uh, yeah, and I, that was just, I did, wasn't very good at shutting up. And then the Marines are pretty good at, at um, I know, at, at, at entertaining alternative viewpoints. You know, you're not supposed to be a mindless automaton. You're a thinking man soldier, thinking right? Man but soldier. I probably, right, but I probably stretched that tolerance somewhat further than I should have done. <laughs> Hell, I run a jet suit business. You know, you'd imagine I would. So uh, anyway, anyway, I, I loved it. I, I, my biggest regret, though, so I spent then quite a bit of time um, you know, just doing RMR stuff, but then Optelic, whatever it was, I don't remember the number was decided to come around. My biggest regret in life, and you know, you're always going to hit a, an obstacle at some point, but my biggest regret was the point when I was supposed to go and do that with a couple of mates who I'd known throughout the whole journey. Mm. Um, they they didn't even have steady girlfriends, I don't think, or regular girlfriends. <laughs> let's put it that way. I was married and had a son on the way, and I literally felt, you know, I was faced with the horrible challenge of do i literally say to my wife right you know i'm gonna i'm gonna bugger off to afghanistan for you know nine months or whatever whilst you go and have our first son with none of your you know parent you know family support around you because they weren't in london um or do i stay back and do that and you know and i think i made the right decision but i would have very much liked to have gone out there and rounded off my experience with you know joining my colleagues out there and to be fair as well it wasn't the ultra kinetic initial phase nor the horrendous ied latter phases it was the i don't know how to put it really but you know from the uh catching up with my buddies who did go it was the relatively sensible infantry mid phase where yes they lost a couple of lads but it was relatively you know what what, what everybody was designed to go and do you know endless 
yomping around, um, getting shot at, waiting for the fast air to come in and and make the you know shooting uh, go quiet. Um, you know, <laughs> which I, I, I'm just trying to paint a picture. You know, the technical term there. Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 what I'm trying to say is, you know, it wasn't. I don't think the statistically, I didn't dodge some very like high likelihood of losing some limb or tour you know it would have been a fairly reasonable tour to go on and i just yeah i just to this day wish i could have gone and done that but very 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 much not the case of me running away from the commitment of doing that it was purely no. just the guilt trip of the uh of the family so anyway that was my story and yeah and actually you know what it's a massive part of the motivation i say this on every talk and i think a lot of the talks i do they don't really get it necessarily but you know i'm sure this audience will but the deep admiration that I came away from my time with the Marines around human capability. Isn't it nuts what you can train your mind and body to get through? Everybody who's got a green beret has been through that journey to go, holy shit, you know, I got through more than I probably imagined I necessarily could have done. Well, that yeah. was part of the motivation of believing that you could attach a thousand horsepower of jet power to yourself and learn to fly. Uh, I think most, most sensible engineers would have discounted it, but I had more than just an engineering perspective. I had the you know what, I think you can do a lot with the body. Um, yeah. And that's a large part of the journey. And we've since gone on and our biggest, deepest military relationship with, is with the Royal Marines and the Royal Navy, amongst many others around the world. But that's going great guns at the moment. And it's branched, uh, of course, out into uh, rescue as well. So um, uh, don't you deal quite a bit with mountain rescue and um, airborne paramedics and Yes, uh, we've done. Uh, yeah, we've done quite a bit with them. Uh, so, I mean, the, the story there started with the Great North Air Ambulance reaching out and saying they thought we had a role. They had a role for us to occupy around um, kind of, you know, first response. So, you know, imagine somebody stuck in the mountains. You drive a Land Rover up. Usually, the Land Rover, you know, the four by fours are usually the quickest to get there. You could have several of those scattered around, drive up through the valleys, get to the where the road runs out and you're probably as the crow flies only a couple of K at most from pretty much anywhere you need to get to. All of this is quicker, cheaper, more agile and more useful than a helicopter because, you know, helicopters can get right near you if they can find you. Uh, once they think they found you, what the hell do they do? You know, fast roping medics onto mountainsides is not really a fun pastime. And even then, great. How do you get the casualty back up again? You know, it's, there's a whole bunch of challenges there. So they said if they could drive up close to the casualty and do the last couple of K really quick over any terrain and get first response, quite similar to a military casualty situation, um, they thought it had a place, you know. So uh, we went up there and, yeah, we had a wonderful couple of days. Amazing, frankly, amazing weather, which, um, you know, wasn't very leg districts at all. It was all sunny and still and brilliant. But, uh, yeah, if you go to Gravity Industries YouTube, you can see the paramedic film on there. And, we got to the casualty. It was a mock casualty, but we got got to her within 90 seconds when it took 20, 25 minutes to walk there. So, uh, so that's yeah, that's gone brilliantly. It's amazing, really. Um, so I'm curious. It's a question that you'll get asked loads and loads of times. What made you think, other than, wow, this is going to be a jet suit and let's just do it. You've just got to roll the dice. But what made you think this is going to be how I'm going to define myself? This is going to be the next big thing. Well, I didn't know any of those things. I genuinely embarked on this journey. You know, um, it was some years after I'd left the Royal Marines. Um, it was 16 years into a corporate career. I have always loved, you know, pushing boundaries, challenging myself. I got into triathlons. I ran ultra marathons. I obviously had the time in the Royal Marines. I had set up a little business alongside my day job, which had sort of taught me a lot of lessons. But um, 
you know, I built a successful career as a trader. I'd had a lot of interesting wins in the corporate world. Sounds very kind of PowerPointy, doesn't it? But I mean, I'd actually accidentally discovered something that um, really changed how commodity trading worked about ship tracking. You know, guys, you mentioned about uh, maritime security. So I bet you know what AIS is or automatic identification system is. Yeah. Right. So the little dot on a map showing where ships are. Well, I discovered that somebody else had built it around the world, but I, I discovered it from a corporate point of view, commercial point of view, and realized that it could tell us where all the ship uh, borne trade flows were going before anybody in the trading world realized. That discovery turned into an idea that I borrowed 20 grand off BP at the time, and it turned into something that made us about half a billion about nine months later. It gave us a window where we could go and uh, essentially use a crystal ball to pre-judge uh, where all the world's trade flows were moving. So for some of the ships you probably landed on or sat on whilst you were going through the tricky areas um, were carrying things that if we knew they were going into Europe rather than into uh, Singapore and into the Far East, if we knew that that was gasoline or let's say jet fuel or something, that would shift the market two weeks later. So we could suddenly predict all that. The buzz you get from seeing an opportunity and dragging it over the line and suddenly proving all the naysayers wrong is quite compelling. And you've got to get used to though, 20 or 19 times out of 20, that being wrong and that the naysayers were right. If you can survive that enough, you know, uh, then every now and then the hit you get from, uh, you know, the high you get from proving them wrong and doing something people thought was impossible becomes quite addictive. And so the journey with gravity was just a very public version of the same thing, really. It was just this idea of could you could you marry together human balance and physicality with a little bit of horsepower and fly in a completely bonkers, unheard of, supposed to be impossible way? No commercial reason whatsoever. I just thought it'd be a cool challenge. Uh, and it turns out you can. And um, and then, yeah, then the bigger challenge became how do you turn that into a self-sustaining, successful business? And there's a whole other story around that, really. I think uh, the thing that often uh, gets me, particularly with uh, with ex-bootnecks and, uh, and obviously the wider veteran community, that resilience piece, you know, that thing, well, listen, it hasn't worked out this time, but next time it might. And there's that fine mm. line between, I don't know, like my wife often says, you're just stubborn. You're not just trying to do this over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes she's right, though. Um, but obviously, resilience is uh, is one of the biggest things that makes people successful. Um, yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me talk to the resilience thing though, right? Because uh, I, it's massively important in trying to strike out and do anything, build your own business, be an entrepreneur, design something, invent something, or even be just successful in a commercial job or any job really in the corporate world. You know, um, unfortunately, most of the resilience is handy from the point of view of of, of putting up with corporate you know, bullshit and, and probably a boss you don't really get enjoy, you know, enjoy working with, but hey, it's still resilience. Yeah. Um, but look, when, when you're an entrepreneur or a, you know, mentor or whatever, you want to set up your own, own business, uh, resilience is really important. But I would say to, to a, you know, mostly maybe, you know, veteran audience, there is a massive caveat here, right? And the resilience thing can get you in a lot of trouble. When you're a trader, you have to have a lot of resilience to stick to your guns, believe in your strategy, ride the losses, and come through a hero when your position makes you millions of dollars. Yeah, great. That's part of it. But a big part of it is realizing on day two when all the conditions outside have changed and to your horror, your strategy is falling apart and you've got to pivot. You've got to drop it. You've got to cut your losses, unemotionally disengage and come up with a new strategy. 
how the hell can you reconcile those two bedfellows? They are two entirely different mm. things. And I think something is probably more useful to talk about when you've got to pivot to a veteran audience than just sticking to your guns and muscling it out. I suspect this audience, you know, you guys are better at that bit. It's, it's whenever you've got to just drop it and go and shift direction. That's harder, right? That's, that's as important. And there's no book that's going to tell you when to shift from one to the other. You know, I, all I would say is one minute, never give up, never say die, get to the top of that mountain, nothing's going to stop you. And then in the same breath go, but hang on, let's just imagine I'm a, some miserable skeptic outside. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Is it really valuable? I know my mum and everybody around me thinks it's a brilliant idea, but really, are they just telling me what I want to hear? What could go wrong? You know, is this the right thing? Is there something better I could be doing? And should I cut my losses now? Can I survive this all failing? Mm. I'm glad that you said that as well, because there's um, there's a bit of a, a culture in the military, isn't there, of just just man up, uh, just grit your teeth and uh, and crack on. But yeah, you just need to know when um, when yeah. to pivot, when to stop, really. So, like, I use red flags. So I like I have like imaginary flags in my head that will um, uh, that will that will flash up at certain points when I'm like, do you know what? is this really going to work like and that could be money it could be how much time that i've spent doing something like that um how do you get that how do you know when to turn uh, as i say that there's no real uh kind of perfect solution to this i i would say you know you've got to be your own worst critic you know if you're constantly getting dragged in front of the media or in front of investors or your your colleagues and they constantly are looking to you to wave not a red flag but a green flag and say how brilliant it is and it's going to go great and we're going to ride through this and it's going to be excellent uh be be wary that you're also going to be in danger of convincing yourself and believing your own bullshit. um you know i i, I had to have a lot of resilience and belief that this was going to work in the early days because i mean i was i was venturing down a road that was that didn't exist right i mean what what mad person ever thinks this would even work let alone become a business um so i had to constantly challenge myself and going look you know what what can i do at every stage if this doesn't work out how can i pivot this i mean could i even just you know do some fun videos online that can make a bit of money you know sticking jet engines on my kids yeah. bikes and stuff and you know just sort of pivot this you know could i could i you know, you've got to constantly be adaptive um so i i just think you've got to be your own worst critic don't just reside in you know high-fiving whooping this is all going to be brilliant we're going to get there and to be honest i think you can draw parallels with military scenarios as well you know how many military exercises you've been on where your objective is x and actually it just gets too bogged down it becomes infeasible yeah. i mean to be honest most real life contacts turn into or real life missions where the bad guys aren't just the friendlies you know with different color hats on you know actually they usually go to bollocks and it's a question of salvaging something out of a disaster right so yeah a bit like scenario planning where things can go wrong I think you've got to do the same from a business point of view. You've got to imagine the unimaginable. Most things will go wrong when you set up a business and you've got to have the adaptability and the resilience to be able to pivot and adjust. And I think that's really important. Mm. I think a, a mantra of mine, and I certainly tell everybody who's, uh, who's willing to hear it, a plan only survives its first point of contact. Like, yeah, always, yeah. That, and that is it. Like you can plan for uh, for the next like twelve years, but as soon as you um, run into something, or as soon as something happens, then you have to over then you have to think of it all over again. 
So it's all about mm. planning for it to go wrong right? and having certain yeah, I, goals. And also kind of having a culture, if you like, of you, your team, whatever, of adaptability. So, I mean, you know, we, we did 111 events in 33 countries before COVID struck. We were making 100 grand an event in some cases, right? Turn up three days, become a national hero on TV in Japan and walk away with $100,000. I mean, like, what a business model, yeah? Quite stressful to execute it, but I mean, um, and then suddenly overnight that stops. Were we that bothered? Ah, not really. We're massively adaptive. We started printing COVID masks on the 3D printer that's still whirring away sitting over there. Um, we realized that social media was becoming a massive thing. Uh, we were big anyway, but we grew exponentially. We just hit a million followers on TikTok for all things. I mean, you know, we, we've made probably 50 grand out of, out of social media in the last, you know, months. It's ridiculous, right? Who would have ever thought of that? But we weren't phased at all. We just, just adapted. We just looked for new opportunities and drop other ones. We have this kind of belief that we're willing to almost try anything if it passes the test of, you know, if it goes wrong, can we get back up again? Um, and, you know, have we invested too much money in only one thing? No. You know, so if it fails, are we really that bothered? No. You know, be, be massively adaptive and flexible. And so when the unimaginable like COVID happens, just see new opportunities. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Being adaptive, improvise, adapt and overcome the situations that happen. So very good, um, very lot, good. A lot yeah, of, um, yeah, a lot of uh, veterans and a lot of uh, entrepreneurs constantly go back to stoicism. And yeah, having, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. A miserable, dry set of British sense of humour. Usually, when you're wet through and feeling miserable, why you're wondering why you're doing it? That is very good to fall back on. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, having gone through those um, those miserable, wet, horrible late nights. I tell you what, there's no better feeling uh, of putting it into context. Whenever I'm looking outside or feeling a little bit cold or wet, I think there is some nod somewhere on Dartmoor. <laughs> yeah. For 30 hours in a gorse bush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so in terms of like, uh, I suppose, what the future kind of holds for you, um, what does that look like? Yeah, so, I mean, where are we now? We, we are going to celebrate our fourth anniversary, believe it or not, as a company in April. Um, you know, as I said, 111 events, 33 countries, built an amazing awareness around the world consistently. We just had it today. I mean, two of the three BBC people who are here today had seen it before, loved it again. But the third girl, I mean, she hadn't seen it. Same reaction. People just lose their minds seeing this live. It's like almost an autistic reaction and people can't compute what they're seeing. So we've done that live to several million people around the world who want to see more, whether it's coming and training with us in L.A. or haven't been there for a bit. But um, L.A. or um, Goodwood, the estate there, we train lots of clients and um, train for quite a few military people there as well. Um, that's all going very well. Uh, rebuilding the race series, or I suppose reigniting the race series, is something when we're all allowed to travel and get out again. Like, who knows how long it's going to take? I don't know. But actually, if I'm really honest, and I don't say this to many interviewers because you know some people don't aren't too down with the whole military thing. But I'm so excited about the military stuff. We've got so many exercises coming up. We're operating off um, a, a pretty big ship. I shouldn't. I'm going to stop myself from saying too much at the moment. A pretty big ship for uh, quite some days to really embed the maritime assault boarding role of what we do. Again, quite a lot of this is on um, the Gravity Industries YouTube already, but you imagine that with three pilots repeatedly proving how we can both integrate with the boarding team 
but also go beyond that and sort of prove in the politest possible way why you don't need boats and hooks and helicopters uh, or any of those quite as much as you think you do because we can do a lot of that really well. But we've got to prove it and we're going to formally be proving it um, in a few weeks time with some really quite exciting new kit. We're doing the same with a, an allied nation not too far away um, and another one a little bit further away in Europe. I, mean, I should really, I can't, I'm itching to say who they are, but lots of European <laughs> allies and also lots of US allies as well, uh, US units. Um, we even during lockdown got whisked away with our seven and a half ton truck in the back of a C-17 to an allied uh, Middle, Middle Eastern nation uh, to go and do some uh, training out there, which was bonkers. I mean, getting airlifted was insane. So we, we, we the military stuff is great. And again, if you put, if I put a cold commercial hat on, actually, I mean, I'm sure you and your audience and me, we all love this stuff because it operationally is just awesome. I mean, you are genuinely oh. be able to bring the, the magic you can bring to a tactical bound. This is not flying around with guns blazing. This is a tactical bound, but the tactical bound can be zero to 60 miles an hour in a second over any terrain and immediately down to any position you like. You wait till you see what's going on on top gear in March. I raced Fl Freddie Flintoff in his um, Formula E crazy, no, whatever it was, extreme E rally car and blazed my way through little tiny wooded pathways over lakes through marshland in a way no no other vehicle can on this planet and i did a mile in two minutes through like complete off-road and smashed the uh rally car i did have to go a slightly different route but i it was just ridiculous if you now change that from being a silly stunt for tv into i need to get an op on that mountaintop or get behind that machine gun position asap and those two Royal Marines can put on a piece of kit that within 10 seconds can get them airborne and within another 90 seconds, 180 seconds can get to that hilltop, 120 seconds, I can't do my math. Um, there's nothing that can touch it, but we've got to prove all this, right? It's such a ridiculous capability. We've got to prove it by doing. I love all this stuff, but actually when we're allowed to leak it's little bits of that into the mainstream that. public, when little bits of this leak out to the mainstream public, their minds explode and they just think Iron Man, Tony Stark, you know, I mean, I showed you, look, I'm going to mess up the, uh, the, the your recording now, but look, I mean, look behind, there's a 3D print. Look at that evil stuff sitting over there. All of that wow. stuff is real and allows you to properly fly increasingly like they see in the film. So what's magic is that um, it's, you know, tactically, I firmly believe this, and we're on a great pathway now. Genuinely applicable and useful, and operationally powerful in a bunch of you know, a bunch of uses, and search and rescue and Kazavak, you know, not so much Kazavak, but first response. But actually, there, there's really accessible money in the world of you know, social media and filmmaking and brand launching or whatever. But the whole world is tantalised and enthralled by watching us go and do stuff that's real, meaningful, and authentic in your old world. Um, so it's a great mixture. It's really fun. It it certainly sounds absolutely amazing. And it's like, it's the future, isn't it? Like, if you told me that, oh, by the way, like, Royal Marine Commandos are going to be flying around in jet suits. Uh, of it's all bonkers, things. right? I mean, it, 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 it's almost bonkers. so bonkers. I know it sounds way too movie-ish, but actually, the you know, I, I met the first Sea Lord when we were on the aircraft carrier off the coast of Washington when I went out to sort of terrify all the DOD visitors. I mean, he was fully on, you know, he's fully on board with it. I mean, I, again, I'm not going to formally quote him, but, you know, it, it is great to see the open-mindedness, particularly in the Royal Marines. They are thinking quite expansively. And, and if you just cast your mind back to pre-Vietnam, 
I'd love to have been in the room when, when the senior military leaders had somebody walk in the room and say, look, we've got these funny things called helicopters. We use them a bit in Korea. looks a bit gawky and a bit geeky. And we've used them for resupply and a bit of observation. But, you know, I reckon you could probably you could probably put guns on these things and you could probably put like eight blokes and drop them anywhere in this jungle in this really tricky theater called Vietnam. You don't have to parachute them in and get them stuck in trees. They don't have to yomp in, you know, all this sort of stuff. There would have been people in the room going, what? I don't get that. No, you know, full infantry all the way through the jungle. You know, we'll start from here and walk all the way through. You know, I mean, that was a capability that seemed miraculous and magical and yet completely revolutionized the battlefield and has done ever since. We are not in that scale of impact, right? I want to be clear. But in a little way, it's the same mind-boggling. Well, there's no brain space to imagine what we can do. When you said, you know, at the beginning of this, Gareth, we were chatting, you used to do maritime security. I'm guessing in some circumstances, you either got, you know, embarked at port or you got shuttled or you did a horrible, you know, uh, underway climb a ladder. Or maybe if you had the luxury of a helicopter and you were being helicoptered between ships, well, you could just fly. You could just fly between them now. It's just, it's effortless. It's really easy. Um, so, yeah. you know, even in that world, this, this could be, you know, useful. Well, I was thinking back as you were talking about um, going between ships. Uh, when we were in, because um, I worked with SMSG, as I said, uh, we were doing maritime counterterrorism. And this involved essentially putting a rickety caving ladder, uh, attaching that to a ship, and then just. Right, you've got there, haven't you? What, what, one of these? Yeah, what <laughs> I've got a few of these. Oh, yeah. Just climbing up like that, and you're like, oh my god. And of course, when you get to the top of the ship, because it kind of like goes convex, um, you've got nothing to hold on to, like, and you're carrying yeah. all of that kit. So, so yeah, so that's the world we're playing in. So we're, we're both supporting that role by flying ahead and putting in place the ladders, um, but also it's been noticed that we maybe don't need the ladders either. So, uh, ah, hello. <laughs> hello. It's Richards. Yeah. Thanks. Can you go downstairs? The, 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 joy, the, the joys of homeworking and uh, oh, I must go it. and see mine, who's slightly, slightly older now. But um, yeah, I'm just going to see mine in a minute. Oh, anyway, good. so yeah, we've got we've got we've got a lot of a lot of exciting stuff coming up as well, and we're even hoping to do something with the Victors as well, because um, I think it'd be a pretty cool thing to give back a, a whole kind of mad degree of mobility to some folks who have lost a bit of mobility. Uh, that could be quite a fun thing to go and do as well for them. Uh, you know, we we've skirted around that a bit up till now, but I think the opportunity is coming up with Invictus. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and I think um, it, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right there. Just with uh, innovation, you mentioned there about helicopters. Yeah, like, uh, and I think that the Royal Marines in particular um, is very good at being open-minded. I mean, you're talking about helicopters there. Mm. We're talking about, uh, forget when it was, but you remember those bootnecks who strapped themselves onto Apaches? Yeah, yeah, you know, that came up in conversation. Uh, yeah, that came up in, in conversation recently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's not to be recommended. But um, but yeah, that that degree of mobility, I, I'm now very willing to bet, and I've never really said this in anything other than sort of one-to-one conversations, but I'm willing to bet we can properly rewrite some of the rule book. And I, I am most excited about exercises like Black Alligator on the west coast of the US where the Royal Marines sort of fight the USMC and it oh, all gets okay. a bit dirty. Um, 
I am very excited about um, supporting a red team effort in a way that is going to blow a few people's minds. That's going to be fun. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Uh, but no, thank you very much uh, once more for uh, for coming on, uh, Richard. No it's been an absolute pleasure. Cool, uh, guys. And I'll uh, I'll let you crack on with your with your family cool. walk. <laughs> yeah. Your family too. really good yeah um it was a bit of a weird time when we actually did the podcast so like uh you know transparency uh, and everything like that it was mid second lockdown in the uk um and uh i think everybody's mental health goes a bit wrong <laughs> during those lockdowns doesn't it um, and i think i was yeah I, I think i was a little bit taken aback um and almost you know starstruck um, as this was like the very first episode of the very first podcast that I've ever done. And I managed to get um, uh, a superstar like Richard coming in. But you know what, he's um, he's done it enough times and he really is a nice, genuine person, you know. Uh, and he, uh, I felt him like almost guiding um, around it, but... Uh, yeah, it was nice and raw, uh, which is exactly what I wanted. It just felt, in the end, uh, like it was just two, you know, bootnecks just just having a chat about stuff and then spinning some dits. Um, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, really liked it. And were there any questions that you didn't get around to asking him? Um, I think I covered quite a lot of it. There were a couple of parts during the uh, the podcast which you no doubt I would have picked up on where I was like, oh, I really wanted to speak about this, so I'll try and squeeze it in at the end. Yeah. Um, and I think that was around a little bit of uh, philosophy, so like, um, I'm really into like stoicism, um, and I suppose like the whole theme of, of maybe why this whole series has kind of come about is exploring the, um, the role that obstacles have to play in that creative process, you know? Um, but but I think I yeah I think I covered uh, I think I covered everything that I really wanted to cover. I think um, some of the uh, <laughs> I think some of the key takeaways that I'm certainly going to um, going to come away with is um, there's a part during it where. I think one of the pet peeves that I've always had um, with, uh, I, I suppose it's it's a, a mixture of that kind of veteran mindset or that bootneck mentality um, of just get it done and, and man up. And there's obviously an element there of like toxic masculinity. Um, and that's a case of, you know what, we're going to see this goal, stacks of smoke, straight down the middle for our Reg friends and, uh, you know, just cracking on. Um, but Richard really, like, highlights the fact that a lesson that he learned in a long time was to realise when that ship is sinking, you know, and to realise, yes, you do need an element of that um, get up and go and just, you know, one foot in front of the other lads, let's crack on. Um, but you also need to know when you have um, 
when that, that, that you know, trying to flog a dog, a uh, dead horse, really, I mean, and, and this idea is not going anywhere, now we should recoup and then go for another one. Um, so I talked about a couple of coping mechanisms that I maybe use, which are like your red flags, which you'll hear me no doubt um, sing praises about all the time as to when I know things may or may not have gone wrong. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he has a really interesting take on it. Um, lots of uh, uh, love for uh, Gravity Industries. Big thanks to um, uh, to Richard, to his team, to um, uh, to everybody who kind of like made this happen. Um, it's real good. And just to remind again, not that not that he's asked me to, <laughs> but uh, I don't even think this was out when uh, when we had the podcast, but really do um, get into uh, taking on gravity uh, and really if you feel like it you know it is such an inspirational kind of matter of fact um, look at how people do amazing things with uh, with ideas it's, it's been, um, and yeah feel free to show your appreciation to um, uh, to him as well give him a follow give him a like um Share this podcast uh, if you like it. Let me know what uh, your thoughts were in the comments. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next one. Brilliant. That sounds good, yeah? Mm-hmm. I think we're done. Yeah. Oh, I didn't press record. <laughs> no, you could like, keep it recording while she like, slides and all the toys kids, the kids' toys. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes!